0: Oh!
1: to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth, one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 7, as we follow along with today's lesson.
2: There came unto him a woman, the other Gospels name the woman. John tells us it was Mary, the sister of Martha. Now, again, so typical of Mary. It's interesting how they just, you know, their temperaments and all, there they are, right? You know, according to their, their nature, Mary was the worshiper. She was the one that was sitting always at the feet of Jesus, just worshiping, adoring, listening. Martha was the busy one, always getting things ready, making sure the little sandwiches were all set and, you know, the iced tea was ready. And uh, and and it, so it was just typical of the sisters and, and just the different uh, temperament or nature uh, of, of the sisters. And so there came unto him a woman, Mary, having an alabaster box of very... Precious or costly perfume ointment, and she poured it on his head as he was sitting there at the dinner. But when the disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? Now, this was very precious, very costly. Perfume. In fact, it could have been sold for several thousand dollars. But Mary, in this moment of adoration and love, just poured it on the head of Jesus. Now, again, John's gospel tells us that the one who really objected The one who was angry over this was Judas Iscariot. And it was Judas who said, Why this waste? We could have sold this for several thousand dollars and we could have put the money in our treasury. But John gives us a little insight concerning Judas. He said... He did not say this because he was really concerned with the poor. He said this because he was the one that was keeping the bag with the money and he had been thieving out of it. So it gives you a little insight into this. For this ointment or perfume might have been sold for much and given to the poor. It's amazing to me how sanctimonious hypocrites can sound sometimes. When Jesus understood it he said unto them, "Why trouble ye the woman? The woman. For she hath wrought a good work upon me. You have the poor with you always, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this Perfume on my body, she did it for my burial. This is uh, a, a just a pre-kind of burial uh, perfuming. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever the gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. So, Jesus was right. We've told you tonight. As a memorial for Mary, that she was the one that did this act of love and devotion unto Jesus. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. Now you see he had been rebuffed. He was holding the bag that they had there. You know, he was sort of the treasure of the group. He took care of the bills, but had been thieving out of the bag. When the woman poured this precious, costly perfume on Jesus, he said, we should have, you know, not wasted it. Let me just say this. Nothing that you give to Jesus is ever wasted. Why this waste? Nothing is ever wasted that is given to Jesus. But he would have been rebuffed by Jesus. We could have given it to the poor. You know, Jesus said, you have the poor with you always. You don't have me always. She's done this for my burial, and wherever the gospel is preached, this will be spoken of as a memorial for and Peter and, and Judas Iscariot was upset. He was determined then he was going to still profit and make money off of Jesus. And so he went to the chief priests, and he said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they coveted with him for 30 pieces of silver... And from that time, he sought the opportunity to betray him. Now, this 30 pieces of silver, which Judas covenanted and made his deal for, is actually a prediction. Uh, In the prophecy of Zechariah, he tells us, in verse 12 of chapter 11, And I said unto them, If you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast it them to the potter, in the house of the Lord. We know that later Judas brought the money back, said, I can't take this. I've betrayed innocent blood. They said, that's your problem. And so he threw the money down there on the temple floor and went out. He said, it's your problem, uh, what you're going to do with the money. And he went out and he hanged himself. And they said, what are we going to do? We can't put this back in the temple treasury. It's blood money. We used it to buy uh, the information that brought the death of this man. It's blood money. It it can't go in the treasury. And they then came upon the idea of buying a potter's field uh, in which to bury the poor. A potter's field was the field next to the potter's house where all of the pottery that did not survive the firing process and had cracked or broken, he would just toss these pots out into the field and they would be filled with these little pot shreds uh, that uh, made the the field untillable and really sort of worthless. And so it was cheap and they bought it uh, to bury uh, the uh, poor. And thus you have... uh, the graves or the um, graveyards that are called often the potter's fields comes from this. Now, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus. That is, the the feast was approaching. And so... uh, they came to Jesus, and they said unto him, Where will you that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man and say to him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. All of the elements for the Passover feast, the uh, Wine, the bread, the uh, lamb, the bitter herbs and all that was necessary for the Passover feast. And now when the even was come, he sat down with the 12. Now it is interesting that in the Jewish calendar, I mean in the Jewish days, not their calendar, but in their days, their day begins at sundown. So their Sabbath, which, of course, seventh day, Saturday, begins at sundown Friday and goes till sundown Saturday. Friday afternoon in Israel, everything shuts down. By the time the sun goes down, no more taxi cabs driven by Israeli drivers, and and there's just a quietness that comes over the whole city as all of the stores are closed and they are observing the Sabbath day. Saturday, when the sun goes down, the streets are full. People are partying. The Sabbath is over. They all go downtown and they just have a great sort of celebration of the Sabbath being over. So that their days begin at the evening of the, of the day before, so to speak. So the evening of the 14th day of the month would have been then on Wednesday evening. The Passover day would have been the 14th on Thursday during the day would have ended at sundown on Thursday. The next day would be the great Sabbath of the unleavened bread, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which would begin at sundown on Thursday. So when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. The reason why they start the day, incidentally, at evening is found in the book of Genesis. In the seven days of creation, you read, and it was evening and it was morning, the first day. It was evening and it was morning, day two. It was evening, and so the, in Genesis, it started the day with the evening and morning, and that is why uh, they, they start the day on the evening before. So their day goes from you know, six o'clock to six o'clock, approximately, from one evening to another. That's, we start our day at midnight. They started at 6 o'clock approximately in the evening. It varies with the sun. When the sun goes down, it's the evening, and that's the beginning of the next day. And so as they did eat, he said, Truly I say unto you that one of you is going to betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? That is interesting to me in that it would sort of indicate that they recognized that they didn't even know their own hearts. I don't know what is in the capacity of my heart to do. I am certain that we are discovering that the capacity for evil in the heart of a man is far greater than anything we ever dreamed. The horrible killings in Rwanda are are things that are far beyond our capacity to even dream or think. Some of the brutal murders that are happening here in the United States, it's hard to imagine a person's mind that is so distorted that he could do these kind of things the capacity for evil. And it would seem like they didn't even know what their own capacities for evil might be. Lord, is it I? David said, Lord, you know me. You know all about me. And then he said, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's some way of wickedness in me. Lord, you know me. I don't know myself. For the prophet said, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked who can know it and so the disciples began to ask lord is it i and he answered and said he that dips his hand with me in the dish the same shall betray me now they usually had a dish of sauce and soup and so forth and they would take their bread and and you know as they would eat they just would have this Bread, pull it off, and they dip it in the uh, soup and uh, then eat it or in the, the sauces. And so he's saying, Who, whoever dips at the same time I do, he's the one. And then he pro- he's declared, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. In other words, it's prophecy. It's got to be. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Though it is a fulfillment of prophecy, woe to the man who betrays him. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Interesting statement by Jesus. It had been good for him not to have been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, Is it I? And he said unto him, You said it. Yes. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is, my, this is my blood of the new covenant, or testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." So Jesus is now giving a new understanding of the Passover feast. I'm the bread of life. This bread is my body broken for you. He who eats of me shall never hunger again. This cup, it's a new covenant that God is making with man. It's in my blood which is shed for the remission of sin. The old covenant that God made with Israel was put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the Lord will pass by, the firstborn will be spared. This now is the new covenant. It's in the blood of Jesus Christ, by which, if applied to our hearts in that spiritual sense, we will not die for our sins. It's shed for for many for the remission of their sins. And when they had sung a hymn, Now, this is something I wish they had recordings in those days. I would (laughs) love to have heard Jesus sing. I imagine he had a strong, robust voice. We know that the hymn that he sung was one of the Hallel Psalms. There is a traditional hymn out of the Psalms. I believe it is Psalm 18 that is the traditional psalm that is sung at the end of the Passover, right 18 through 20, right in there, uh, the traditional psalm sung at the Passover. So uh, they had, and wouldn't you love, Jesus and the 12 disciples, uh, of course at this point there were 11, Judas had already left, but, uh, oh, I would love to have had a recording of that song. When they had sung the song, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, There was a place there at the Mount of Olives that Jesus uh, resorted to many times with his disciples. Just sort of a favorite spot, quiet, away from the hubbub of the city of Jerusalem, outside the walls, towards Bethany, but just a quiet spot where he could get alone with his disciples. And uh, they went on out to the Mount of Olives, probably where he had given them the discourse, uh, the... um, couple days earlier. And then said Jesus unto them, all of you will be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Prophecy of Zechariah. And so Jesus is saying, all of you are going to be offended. But Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. It's sort of putting himself above the others. You see, there was a rivalry and a dispute going on among the disciples right up to the time of the death of Christ. They were disputing among themselves as Who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God? It was a argument that was constantly going on. And Jesus was trying to teach them that the path of greatness was by taking the path of servanthood. He that would be chief among you, let him become the servant of all. Now, the Gentiles love to exercise lordship over others. How they do. Just go to city council meetings and you'll find out how they do. But it shall not be so among you. And, and so, when Peter said, Lord, though they all may be of I won't, in other words, he was sort of vying for that Top spot. They may, not me I'll never be offended Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee That this night before the cock crows You will deny me three times Peter said unto him, Though I would die with thee Yet I would not deny thee And likewise said all the disciples, they all chined in, no, 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 never, never. We wouldn't do that. Notice that Peter is boasting of himself, confident in himself. Lord, I would never deny you. Notice also he's arguing with the Lord He's arguing with the scriptures. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. He's arguing with that. Lord, I would never be offended. I would never deny you. Arguing with Jesus, boasting in his confidence in his own flesh. Now, this was said as they were walking from the place where they had had the Passover feast to the garden of Gethsemane there on the Mount of Olives. For then they came to the place that is called Gethsemane, or Olive Press, and saith, uh, he said unto his disciples, sit ye here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, of course, James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy, began to show his emotions. The weight of the cross, the whole experience, began to just weigh upon him now heavily. And he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, watch with me. Strengthen, be there. Watch with me. And he went just a little farther, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The prayer of Jesus. Father, let this cup pass from me, if it's possible. If what is possible? If salvation and redemption for mankind is possible by any other means, by any other method, then let this cup pass from me. The cup of the indignation of God's wrath against sin that he was to bear for you and for me. Because as God placed upon him all of our sins, he then died for our sins. He took the penalty and the guilt of our sins. He felt that Result of sin, the separation from God that is always the result of sin, he felt that. He cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the heaviness of this whole experience weighing on Father, if it's possible, if man can be saved, redeemed from his sin by any other method, by being good, by being religious, by being sincere, Let this cup pass from me. The reason why the cross of Jesus Christ offends people is because it narrows down the way of salvation to only one way. There's only one hope for a man to be forgiven his sin. There's only one hope for heaven, and that's through the cross of Jesus Christ. If it had been possible that man could be saved by any other means, then Jesus would not have gone to the cross. If it's possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, and here is that beautiful submitting, not what I will, but thy will be done. I think that that is the wisest prayer that can be offered by anybody concerning any situation. I think that it is good to express to the Father what we desire and what we will, but always the deferment of my will to his. That is not a cop-out, as some would try to claim. That's just pure wisdom. If that's a cop-out, then you'd be accusing Jesus of copping out. But that's just pure wisdom that's glorifying God as God. That's recognizing that God is just a lot smarter than you are and that his ways are far wiser than your ways. God, this is what i like to see, but you know what's best. Not my will, your will be done. And he came to the disciples, and he found them asleep. And he said unto Peter, Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Oh, Peter, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And how we know that to be true in our own lives. How often the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, and just slight different here, Oh, my father... If this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Resigning now, just not saying, let it pass. If it can't pass, I have to drink it. Then, Father, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Now, there are those who say, well, you should never repeat a prayer. You should have enough faith the first time you say it. You know, don't pray it again. I asked the Lord once, and I laid it in his hands, and so it's the end of it. Now, I don't know. Jesus prayed the same thing three times, and so I would, I think, take his word over some of the televangelists. (laughs) Then he came to his disciples and said unto them, Sleep on now. Take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, I think that there could be at this point a pause between the end of verse 45 and the beginning of verse 46. I think that Jesus came back, found them asleep again, and just said, "I'll oh, sleep on, take your rest. He knows the pressure that they're going to experience. He knows the sorrow, the disappointment that they're going to go through. And I think that it was more or less, you could not watch with me, but I will watch you. And I think he sat there, and it could be an hour or so that he just sat there while they were sleeping, probably praying for each of them. Lord, oh, Simon, he's going to so mess up, he's going to just really be devastated. Help him, Father. Satan's going to take him and rake him over the coals. Going to sift him like wheat. Lord, just just ministered. Help him, Lord. And I think he prayed for each of the disciples just sitting there watching, and then finally he woke them up and he said, Rise, let's be going. Behold, he is at hand that betrays me. And while he yet spoke, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and spears from the chief priests and the elders of the people, huge multitude, came there into the garden. And he that betrayed him gave them a sign. He said, Whosoever I shall kiss, That is the one, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master! And he kissed him. The Greek word here for kissed is that of a passionate kiss of lovers, sort of sickening. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, why have you come? And they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword. And we know from John's gospel that that one was Peter. And he struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. From Luke we know it was his right ear. And, of course, Luke, being a physician, also told us that Jesus picked it up and healed it, put it back on. And from John, we know that the name of this fellow was Malchus. So put all the Gospels together, and you get sort of the the whole picture. These are just little composites. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again your sword in its place. For all they that take the sword will perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray the Father and he would presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? Put your way. Peter, I don't need your defense. I don't need your support that way. I could pray to the Father right now. He'd send 12 legions of angels. Now, we read that one angel destroyed 185,000 of the Assyrian troops in one evening. Imagine what 12 legions of angels could do. You know, I really believe, it is my personal opinion, that God had to use restraining force against the angels from intervening at this point. I really believe that the angels had to be restrained or they would have come and just ripped man up for this horrible, horrible action that God forcibly restrained them from intervening on behalf of Jesus. But Jesus said, I could do this, but then he said, how shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? In other words, I could do that, but then the Scriptures wouldn't be fulfilled. So he recognizes that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. And for me to deliver myself or seek divine deliverance from this, then the Scriptures could not be fulfilled that speak of the redemption for man that would be brought to us by God. And in the same hour said Jesus to the multitudes. That is, and of course here, give Peter credit. There were multitudes, a big crowd with swords and spears. Peter's going to take them all on. Starts with Malchus, closest to him, starts swinging. Now, the interesting thing (laughs) is that he cut off his right ear which, if Peter was right-handed, means that Malchus was going away from him to clip his right ear. All suppositional. We don't know that he was right-handed. In the same hour, Jesus then addressed the multitudes that had come. He said, if you come out with the riot squad like you're looking for a thief, Coming out with your swords and spears to take me. I sat daily with you teaching in the temple. You didn't lay any hands on me. You know, why have you come out with all of this force? I was daily there in the temple teaching. You could have arrested me then. But all of this, we are told, by Matthew was done, that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all of the disciples did forsake him, and they fled. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. They had called this night assembly, which was actually unconstitutional, uh, but... uh, At this point they weren't interested In the fine points of their laws But Peter followed him afar off Unto the high priest's palace And went in and sat with the servants to see the end He he was following, not close, he was afar off Now John was inside, John had connections He was right inside But Peter was there just sort of on the fringes He wanted to see what was going to happen Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. They were looking for charges by which they might uh, put him to death, uh, have a a cause, a legal cause, to execute him. But they found none. Yea, though there were many false witnesses who, who came They really couldn't find any real charges. And at last, there came two false witnesses. And they said, this fellow said that he was able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. Well, Jesus did mention, destroy this temple, and in three days I will build it again. But he was talking about the temple of his own body and his resurrection. So this was a misinterpreting of what Jesus, You know, they said it was this temple, that is uh, the temple there in Jerusalem. Jesus is talking about the temple of his own body. So uh, he, he brings up this charge against Jesus. And the high priest arose and he said unto him, Don't you answer anything? What is it which these are witnessing against thee? But Jesus just held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, Now this is with an oath. He is taking an oath. He said, I adjure you by the living God. I command you by the living God that you tell us whether you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Now in those days... They believed, the rabbis all believed that the Messiah would indeed be the Son of God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. They expected the Messiah to be the Son of God. Today the rabbis say, no, we don't believe Jesus is the Messiah because he said he was the Son of God. The Messiah is not the Son of God. He's going to be a man like Moses was a man. And therefore we reject the claim of Jesus because he claimed to be the Son of God. But the rabbis all believed in that day that the Messiah would indeed be the Son of God. Unto us a son is given. And um, the Lord said unto... uh, My Lord, no, that isn't the one I want. Um, This is my beloved Son. This day have I begotten thee. Um, Yes, the Lord said unto my Lord, Thou art my... uh, that thou art my beloved Son, this day have I begotten thee. So they expected the Messiah. So are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And Jesus said unto him, You said it, thou sayest it. Thou hast said, nevertheless, he said, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man, a title of the Messiah, sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and he said, He hath spoken blasphemy. We don't have any further need of witnesses. Behold, you've heard this blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, He's guilty of death. Sentence was passed. Then they began to spit in his face. They began to beat him. Others smote him with the palms of their hands. And they said, prophesy unto us, you Messiah. Who is it that smote you? The crowd began to get out of control. It was now getting rough. They were really beginning to abuse Jesus. Spitting on him, pushing him, shoving him, beating him. And in this rough Treatment The crowd getting out of control Peter sitting outside of the palace The damsel came unto him and said You also were with Jesus of Galilee But he denied before them all saying I know not what you're saying I don't know what you're talking about when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied with an oath, saying, I do not know the man. Now, they would take an oath to uh, affirm truth. In other words, uh, I swear by the Bible... Put your hand in the Bible and swear that you're telling the truth. And you, so you take an oath. I swear by the Bible. I swear by God. I swear by my mother's honor. I swear by boys, Boy Scouts. You know, you take this oath uh, to <laughs> affirm that what you were saying was really true. Imagine taking an oath and then lying. I know not the man. And after a while, they came unto him, that is the soldiers, those that were standing by, and they said to Peter, surely you Are one of them, for your speech gives you away. The Galilean accent can't hide it. And so, if my speech is giving me away, Peter thought, by my speech I will try and prove that I'm not a disciple. He began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately, As the words were going out of his mouth, the rooster began to crow. And the crowing of the rooster was like a dart going through the heart of Peter. As it reminded him of the words of Jesus just earlier that evening, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And his response to Jesus, Lord, Though, I I would die for you. I would never deny you. And yet he did. The failure of the flesh. The disappointment because of the failure of the flesh. He remembered the word of Jesus. And he went out. And he wept bitterly. Those bitter tears. Shed because of the consciousness of the weakness of the flesh, the failure, letting the Lord down in that moment of truth. The truth often hurts. Knowing what's in our heart is often painful. Discovering the weaknesses of our flesh. Is bitter medicine, he wept bitterly. But in the weeping bitterly, there is the sign of remorse and of repentance. And thus there was forgiveness. Now Judas, who had betrayed the Lord, when he brought back the money, he went out. Rather than weeping bitterly, he went out and he hung himself. The response and the reaction to the recognition that I've really made a drastic, horrible mistake. You know, there are those times when we are desperate, when we get to just, we don't know what to do, where to turn. And many times in that pressure of the moment, the emotions and all that are running so high, people oftentimes then make tragic mistakes. Because you see, you've come to the place where you've got to reach out beyond yourself. Some reach out to God and they find the help and the strength that they need. Others reach out for a bottle. Others reach out for pills and some tragically reach out for a gun. Where do you turn? Where do you reach? When you've come to your own limits, when you've come to the end of yourself. Judas went out and hung himself. Peter went out and wept bitterly. To live another day, to see a glorious ministry, to have the opportunity of being restored and used of God, As one of the mighty leaders and the apostles in the early church There is restoration There is forgiveness There is the opportunity again of being used by God We've all failed There is none that is righteous, no, not one We've all come short of the glory of God But there is forgiveness with Him Merciful, kind gracious, loving, compassionate, tender, forgiving. That's our Lord. And Peter experienced all of those and was restored. Even as God wants to restore you tonight, though you may have failed, you might be in the midst of a unseemly kind of an experience right now, a rebellion against God, the weakness of your flesh being manifested, and you're feeling miserable over it, but there's forgiveness, there's love, there's compassion, there's restoration. As you're holding your place there in the 27th chapter, uh, turn to Acts chapter 2, and uh, verse 22 and 23. As Peter is addressing the multitude who had gathered there in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples, And he was explaining to them the phenomena that they were observing. He said, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was proved to be of God among you by the miracles and the wonders and the signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Now as Peter talks about the death of Jesus Christ, he declares that it was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. In other words, the crucifixion Was planned by God. The purpose was the redemption of man and the revelation to man of God's love. It is interesting that whenever in the scripture God wants to prove his love for you, he always points to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. For a righteous man, one may die, yet peradventure for a good man, some may even dare to die, but God commendeth his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So whenever God wants to prove his love, he always just points to the cross. And that is the proof of God's love. In giving his only begotten son to die for your sin and for my sin. And therein God proves his love for us. So as we have come to the 27th chapter of Matthew. And Matthew now records for us the events of the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. We do so with the realization that this was all a part of God's eternal plan, His determinate counsel and foreknowledge. He knew all about this when he sent his son into the world. He sent him to die for our sins, to prove his love for you and for me. So keep that as a background as we look at chapter 27. Now, when the morning was come, now the night before, of course, Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane after he had had the Passover supper with the disciples. The Jewish day begins at sundown, so this is the day of the Passover. And he is brought unto Pilate. When the morning was come, all of the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They had plotted, they had planned, they had orchestrated the events of this day. The purpose was to bring him to Pilate in order that he might be condemned to death by crucifixion. You see, they could have taken him out and stoned him. They did that to others. When Stephen was before the council and he said things that provoked them, they drug him out and stoned him to death. But they brought him to Pilate because they were wanting to see him suffer the death of crucifixion.
1: Turn with more of our in depth study in the book of Matthew in our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Matthew 26 through 27 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at the thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673.
2: That gives us such hope In the midst of our failure Lord we have such hope Through Jesus Christ Forgiveness, cleansing, mercy, grace Compassion Lord you're so patient Bless now we pray Lord And let the word of God Be of encouragement and strength to us As we go out this week To shine as lights In this darkened world Lord, help us Help us Not to deny you By our words or by our actions But may our lives speak Of our relationship with you That all men may see and know that we are followers of Jesus Christ. We're one of His. We've been with Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
0: Undoubtedly, one of the most glaring signs that our society is in trouble is the breakdown of the family unit. Marriages just aren't making it today, and kids are suffering as they watch the breakup of their homes. Those marriages still holding together are often plagued by conflict and turmoil, making the home a battleground instead of a refuge. That's why The Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's Marriage and Family MP3, where Pastor Chuck discusses basic biblical principles to keep a family's love alive. Each member of the family has a different set of needs and responsibilities. And when you know and apply God's principles, everyone in the family can experience real peace, real joy, and an agape love. To order your copy of the Marriage and Family MP3 by Chuck Smith, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.